Dear Father, it's a privilege to be known by you. It's a privilege to be called by you. But Lord, it's also such a great privilege to be able to be used by you, Father, to speak your word. The words that I speak now, I know are from you. They're not my own. I don't take glory for anything that's spoken today, what's preached today. I just want God to be glorified because it's all about you. In Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. Excellent. Right. So as I said, a few technical issues, but we're going to work through it. Amen? Amen. Right. PA guys, you're on the ball. Right. So today, I want to talk to you about that great and precious gift of salvation. Salvation or being saved is a word many believers use day to day, but we don't fully appreciate the importance, significance, or impact it has in our relationship with God and others. The word salvation appears 178 times in the ESV Bible. I specify the ESV Bible because if you go through different translations, it changes. But for me, I favour the ESV Bible. 133 of these are in the Old Testament. Are we surprised by that? No, shouldn't be. It's a bigger book. It appears within 32 of the 66 Bible books first in Genesis 49, and lastly in Revelation 19. Now that's intentional. God wants to make sure you get the message, doesn't he? Yes. So let's look at some definitions to gain a fuller understanding of the word. Okay. If this doesn't work, can you just fool it? No. I tried. Google defines salvation as preservation or deliverance from harm, ruin or loss or deliverance from sin and its consequences believed by Christians to be brought about by faith in Christ. Wikipedia says being saved or protected from harm or being saved or delivered from some dire situation. And it also says the saving of the soul from sin and its consequences It may also be called deliverance or redemption from sin and its effects. My preferred one is on Theopedia. The act of God's grace in delivering his people from bondage to sin and condemnation, transferring them to the kingdom of his beloved son and giving them eternal life. All on the basis of what Christ accomplished in his atoning sacrifice. The Bible says we are saved by grace through faith and that not of ourselves, it is the gift of God. Amen. So on first glance, they seem quite similar. But which statements do you think are more worldly? Google? Yeah, I would say so. I think if you look through it, Google's just stating facts. And as you work through to Theopedia, which is the godly one, The focus changes. The first two focus on escape. But for me, that means there's some effort still being played by us. It's like the great escape. Wouldn't be a great escape if the prisoners didn't want to get out, yeah? Yeah. There's some effort on their part. Mm -hmm. The final definition is quite clear. It's about rescue. It's about it being done for you. You had nothing in there. You had no input. But he did it. 
For all believers with salvation, we all need to start the journey. The hardest bit is to make a start. But unless you make a start, the journey will never begin. Let's liken this journey to an overseas holiday. Right? Most of us have been abroad. No one's putting a hand up. All right, sorry. You all like holidaying in England. That's right. The holiday starts when you begin that journey. But another key thing about your journey is commitment. You have to be committed. So what do you do? You research the holiday, don't you? You don't turn up at the airport and say, I'll take that flight. Well, you might do. Yeah, you research the journey. You book the flight. You do book the flight, don't you? If you're going overseas, it's a long way if you don't book a flight. You part with your hard-earned cash, paying for the flight transfer, the airport tax, insurance. Right. Right. That's commitment, isn't it? Right. But you're not finished yet. No. You have to get to the airport, don't you? Yes. You have to get on that plane. Doesn't the journey start when you get on the plane? The journey doesn't start until you get on that plane. Because you can still miss that plane. You don't have to go to the airport. But that journey to the overseas destination doesn't start till you get on the plane. So it's about starting that journey and committing to the journey, but also seeing it through. Salvation is the start of the journey for us to be sanctified and become more like our master, Lord Jesus. Only God can start this journey for us, but we must commit ourselves fully to the journey once he begins it for us. We must see it through to the end, no matter what comes our way. Put me behind as Jesus did, not just to Calvary, but to the right hand of the Holy Father in heaven. So remember that. Jesus' final destination wasn't the cross. It was to go back to the Father. Yeah? Remember that when we're, we're going through what we're going through. Whatever your trial, the final destination is not the end of the trial, but to be where Jesus is, in the presence of his Father and the Trinity. So I'm going to get, like Jesus, I need to paint pictures for you. For me, it makes explaining the gospel easier, yeah? So forgive me if I start giving you examples. So let's liken it also to investments. When banks were healthier, ha-ha, many of us had savings in the bank. The reason we put our money in the bank was to keep some aside, yes. But mainly it was to gain investment interest. And when you invest in God, what he gives back to you is so much more than we can imagine or comprehend. You get a greater investment in God than anything this world could offer. Let's liken it to agriculture and farming. Say you had a farming business and you wanted to grow crops. Most people have to go to the bank to be lent the money to start the business. But God does not work like that. Think about his principle of sowing and reaping. So he starts the ball rolling by first sowing into you. He invests his Holy Spirit, his love, his time, his grace, his mercies into you. He sows his great and eternal seed in us. 
Then from what we want, then from that, we want to sow for him. So he gives us the tools, the seed, the ability, the wisdom and knowledge to sow his seed. And we'll give you everything you need to grow what he wants you to grow. Let me stress to, the, to you all that. It's what God wants to grow. Not what you want to grow. You may want carrots, but God may want apples. Mm-hmm. Grow the apples. Because he knows what he's doing. Yeah? yeah? Because in God's time, the Lord is going to harvest. So there's a reason why he's asking you to grow this at this specific time. God's never wrong. So if he's asking you to harvest or plant for now, do so. You may not see the harvest, but God knows. So let's continue to sow. Sorry. Yeah, let's continue to sow and play our part and do what he's calling us to do. So I want to look at four key questions about salvation and then draw some key conclusions from these. How does salvation benefit us? Many believers see salvation working at three levels, past, present and future. We are saved from the curse of sin when God brings us to faith in Christ. That's the past. All past sins wiped off. Believers are currently being saved through the sanctifying work of the Holy Spirit in us. That's the present. And on Christ's return, we will be saved from the presence of sin and death to live fully in the presence of God. That's the future. Salvation shows God's compassion towards us. We did not deserve his love, nor could we earn or attain it. But God, in his great compassion for us, made the perfect and only way for us to be saved. To be able to enter into his presence and share in his great inheritance and glory. Salvation reveals to us the great value and worth God places in us and to us. He gives us great promises, great gifts and a great inheritance. He makes us stewards of his greatest creations, this world and mankind. But more importantly, his children. When I say children, I mean us, the church. You don't give people you don't value or hold in great worth these lightly. Jesus spoke about casting pearls at swine. That was Matthew 7 verse 6. So he graciously shares his gift with everyone, but not everyone is willing to receive it. He values every part of us, mind, body and soul, and wants to ensure every aspect of our lives is saved. This is where some people fall down in religion. They think they can just fulfill the physical requirements, rituals, or things they think they can gain reward from God, like attending church or going to a temple to pray. But they forget about the heart or the mind, which is where the battle is greatest in most instances. And only God can help you in spiritual things, as he is spirit, and he sent the Holy Spirit to to help us in this. Psalm 22 verse 7 says, On God rests my salvation, and my glory, my mighty rock, my refuge is God. Salvation provides protection and assurances from God that we are his and he will never let us go. We put our faith in nothing else but Jesus. Salvation helps us to hear and see the truth about God and ourselves. We can finally see and know what is really true as God shines his undeniable truth into our hearts and lives and the lives of others. His truth upholds us 
and never lets us go, no matter what we face or endure in this life. There's no confusion in God's truth, and we can find peace and clarity in the truth of his words. God's great love for us is shown through our salvation. His sacrificial love for us to ensure we would not be lost, but also able to enjoy and live in the great blessing of being in God's presence, love, grace and mercy. 1 John 4 verse 10. In this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation or the sacrifice for our sins. John 3.36, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. Whoever does not obey the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God remains on him. So that leads to salvation saves us from God's wrath. Before I would say it's human nature to save and protect that which is really important to us, even to the extent that we would sacrifice something or even our own lives. But once you gain more understanding about how much God loves us and has done for us, I now understand it's God's nature in us. One of the many characteristics of the Trinity working through us. We must remember how precious we are to God. He shows great concern for us, even those who walk away from him and are disobedient. His care does not start at our salvation, but before the beginning of time. When he planned out our creation and salvation... And our lives with him for all eternity in his presence. So salvation shows his great concern for mankind. 1 Corinthians 2. But as it is written, what no eye has seen, nor ear heard, nor the heart of man imagined, what God has prepared for those who love him. God is preparing a great reward for those who accept his gift of salvation. Salvation brings sinners into unity and peace with God and breaks the unity and peace our sinful nature had with the world and Satan. Before we were unaware and complacent in our sins. Weren't we? Didn't know any different. Didn't know any better. But now we know. Salvation brings awareness of a need for a deliverer and a saviour. Through God's great providence, he ensures he provides life to believer and sinner alike. But only those who accept his son share the true life God has to offer his faithful children. How do we receive and walk in salvation? Through the grace of God and our acknowledgement of his atoning sacrifice of our Lord's Saviour, Jesus Christ. It is dependent only on the grace of God and not our own efforts. Ephesians 2 verse 8. For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. And once we receive salvation, we should strive to live our life accordingly to the perfect will of God. Acts 4. Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven, giving among men by which we must be saved. Now that's Peter and John, Peter powerfully preaching. And he's in the midst of the Sanhedrin and the teachers of that time. 
and he's defending the gospel pretty much for the first time. And they're having a go at him for healing someone. There was a lame man, and he was asking for money, if I remember correctly. And Peter says, I haven't got any money for you, but what I have, I will give to you. And he blesses him, and he heals him. And then these people, the Sanhedrin, bring him up on jumped-up charges, saying, what you're doing is wrong. And Peter's saying, by the, empowered by the Holy Spirit, he's saying, I've done no wrong here. I'm only doing what Jesus has told me to do. It's what Jesus has sent us to do. Amen. Jesus is our strength and our refuge. He was strong for us at the cross. I feel he was at his strongest when he endured suffering for the sins of the world. Our strength could not ensure or endure what he knew he had to endure for us. As the Bible says, the strong man had to be bound before the captive could be released. We know the strong man was the devil and the captive was us. So it took a stronger person to overcome the strong man. Note it says strong man, not the strongest. Only God is the strongest in our battles, with the enemy and within ourselves. We endure suffering sometimes according to God's will and purpose, so we can learn to rely on his strength and be strong for someone else when they're in the midst of their trials and storms. God cares for all of his children and he prepares us so we can help one another. Job's trials were not in vain. It was to prepare him for the next stage God had for him to walk with. Little did he know his story would challenge and encourage many more generations to come. But I think most of all, it challenges the question, can bad things happen to good people? And the clear answer is yes. But be encouraged, if it's according to God's will, good will come out of it in the long run. Amen. Jesus showed us through his living example and his sacrifice, the innocent and the blameless suffer to ensure sinners will be saved. That is part of God's will. We need to get our heads around it. If not, it will constantly challenge our hearts about what happens in the world and in our lives today. God always keeps a balance in everything that he does. Doesn't he? So to keep his people, the church, balanced, there will be good and bad in our life experiences. So, if there's a maturity moment now, and you're thinking, I'm with God now, my life's going to be easy, I need to tell you now, stop. It will be a mix. There will be good, there will be bad. There will be seasons, as I call them, where you will go through what feels like, for want of a better term, hell. And then there will be times when you will have joy, peace, and it will be like heaven. But we have to take both, have to accept both, and walk accordingly. So stop thinking it's all, you know, you've got the, the music playing in the background and you're in the field and you're running with your hands like this, all the time. It don't happen. You may get that moment, and praise God if you do. But I'm telling you, there'll be times when there'll be thunder and lightning, the rain is coming down on you, and you'll be feeling like, when is this rain never going to stop? And it's not because you're living in England. Okay, balance. There's no greater joy than seeing new life. 
I've been privileged to see new life. Yes. Yes, I've been privileged to see new life. My wife is sitting there, and I've got to be careful what I say, see? So, <clears throat> yes. God said after he created new life that it was good, and he was pleased. The same can be said for us. For us who are parents, there is no greater joy than being present and seeing the birth of a new child and to hold that new child in your hands for the first time. And for myself, when I held my son for the first time, in my head I made a vow. I would always watch over this baby. I would keep him, protect him, and prayed I would help him grow into a good and godly man. I imagine God says this over every creation of his, because he looks after those who will follow him and those who will not. God looks after both, but some will follow him and enter into his kingdom. Others will choose a different path and a different end according to his will. God brings balance, so for every thrust, and I can't understand why God wants me to use this word, but for every thrust to be made into who we are going to be, we are going to have a mix. Now I had to check out this. I'm thinking, Lord, why are you, why are you asking me to use the word thrust? In my head, thrust means projection, jets. Why, why thrust? Well, then when I looked up the word, it's about moving forward in a specific direction, strongly, intentionally. That's what we have to be when we're going through these hard times, especially with what's going on around us. We can't afford not to be intentional, purposeful, and moving at, I think, pace now. If we're not, we're not only going to get left behind, we're going to get boxed in. And I feel that's what's happening. A mix of good things that make us better and not so good things that also make us better. Both different experiences, but both for an ultimate end to make us better and make us more like Jesus. It helps us understand better who God is. It helps us rely more on God, but also to share his gospel to help others know who God is. My last point on balance. I was watching a nature program with my wife at the weekend. And God has created some amazing things, hasn't he? Some things you can't even see, but these things, man, he's built them. I just, anyway, you just get amazed. I'm, I'm glad, I was thankful for Jack's preach the other day about creation, about the cosmos. He gets his, his kicks from the cosmos and stars. I like things closer to home. So they had this thing on the TV, and there was this ant in the Sahara. It's the only ant that has hair. How do these scientists know this? I don't know. But it has hair. But it's golden. The hair is golden. And this thing can do anything in the Sahara heat. But it has a time limit. Ten minutes. can do whatever it likes in that ten minutes. If it doesn't get back in that hole in that ten minutes, it's in the same boat as the rest of them. God brings balance. So what may feel like is overcoming you at that point in time, it's only for a time. Everything has a time limit. We all have time limits. Our body clocks. These, these bodies only last for us X amount of years, X amount of hours, and then they expire. And we have to say the same for trials. It's too many people, I feel, leave the church because they're going through a trial at that point in time and feeling God has deserted them, the church is not helping them, I'm off. All they had to do was stay with us. 
Stay with the church. Stay with your brothers and sisters. Stay where it's strong. Amen. Right, that's the end of my political broadcast. Let's move on. (laughs) Salvation requires our obedience. If not, we can and will lose the peace and joy of our salvation. Jesus gave us stark warnings about those who would keep his commandments, who would not keep his commandments, sorry. Matthew 7, verse 12. So whatever you wish that others would do to you, do also to them, for this is the law and the prophets. Enter by the narrow gate, for the gate is wide and the way is easy that leads to destruction. And those who enter by it are many. For the gate is narrow and the way is hard that leads to life, and those who find it are few. So this is a depiction, as close as I can get it. don't know if you can see it clearly, but it's the cross, which is the bridge. We're going to talk about the bridge of God later on. But see how many people are on that bridge? But if you look further down, there's loads of people jumping into the fire. I don't want that for you, church. I don't want that for anyone. We need to be more intentional. That's the outcome. Jesus' words of warning are to believers as well. We need to be focused on what he wants us to be doing. That's clear in Matthew 7, verses 21 to 23, where he gives us a warning about, I did not know you. Jesus told us his yoke is easy and his burden is light. But note he said we will, have bur- we will have a burden indicating there is work and effort on our part when we walk with Jesus. So how do we share in the joy of salvation? Salvation shows the glory of God. Look at the book of Genesis. God's glory is shown powerfully through creation. It is shown powerfully today through the transforming power of the gospel and the Holy Spirit. New life comes when sinners are born again. We have seen great transformation of hearts and people when, we, when they are born again and receive God's salvation. I make this distinction because a change of person in their own strength might mean a difference in attitude towards God and his people. But a change of heart will bring a complete transformation of a person's life and a determination never to go back to where or how they were. God is involved in both, but we have a part to play in how much he changes our heart in his goodwill and time. Acts 10 shows Peter's encounter with Cornelius and gives us an example of how to receive and share the joy of salvation and the good news. From verse 44, while Peter was still saying these things, the Holy Spirit fell on all who heard the word, and the believers from among the circumcised who had come with Peter were amazed because the gift of the Holy Spirit was poured out even on the Gentiles. For they were hearing them speaking in tongues and extolling God, praising God. Then Peter declared, Can anyone without water, withhold water for baptizing these people who have received the Holy Spirit just as we have? And he commanded them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Then they asked him to remain for some days. <clears throat> it's a big chunk of scripture to Acts chapter 10 but just to summarise Cornelius is visited by an angel I think the angel says God has seen your 
your offerings and he's pleased. Go and seek a man called Peter. And he does exactly what he's told. Sends his servant, goes to Peter. Peter also gets a visitation. But Peter is not as gracious. He doesn't understand originally what the vision means. But God sets him right and says, look, don't call anything I've created unclean. I want you to go and see this man. Peter doesn't argue. But he is reluctant. The servant turns up, they go back to Cornelius' house, and that happens. An outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not going to give Peter a hard time. I've probably been in the same situation. God's told me to go and do something, and I'm fighting with him. No, Lord, I don't want to do that. Send someone else. The Jonah syndrome. Yeah? But I go, and someone gets blessed. Same with Peter. Despite his prejudices and reluctance, God moves powerfully in this situation, which brings amazement and joy to all those who were there to experience it. Everybody, not just Cornelius, not just his family, but Peter and the people Peter had taken. Sometimes the ones receiving salvation are more gracious than those instructed to share the good news. Cornelius was expectant. Now that's the difference. Cornelius was expectant. Peter, all he was worried about was, we're Jews. He's a Gentile. I don't want to be seen with a Gentile. That's all he was going, that's all he had in his head until God turned up. Cornelius saw the vision and was expectant. My God is sending his servant to me. Not only has he sent an angel to talk to me, but now he's sending a servant to bless me. Woe is me. In his heart, that's his attitude, because he's humbled. He understands what the gospel is saying. And because of that, he makes sure his whole family is there to receive and enjoy what he felt God had for him. A great treasure which he would trade everything and everything in life for. To give context, Cornelius is a Gentile. One of us, basically. We're not Jews. Well, as far as I know, we're not Jews in this house. Right. So we're all Gentiles. But he's grasped the gospel. The good news is better than anything the world could offer, including his very worldly position of Roman centurion. So he could have effectively had Peter arrested. He had it. It was well within his rights. He had benefits beyond what Peter had. Yet he put that aside and he wanted to know what Peter had for him. That's the grace of God. His actions, Cornelius, is mimicking the words of Paul in Romans 1.16. And Peter and his friends are also convinced of this by the end of this God encounter. Romans 1.16. For I am not ashamed of the gospel... For it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. They're both living examples of those words now. God has provided the perfect way for his son for us to know him, a way where we are protected and he walks with us. I'm thankful for the words of the songs that Carmela picked today that sort of hit the spot on that one. And the best is yet to come, so we can and should rejoice in this. So if you see me giving you a hard time, church, about rejoicing in your salvation, it's because God tells me 
It's that boy. I can't argue with God. Do you want me to argue with God? No. Do you want to argue with God? No. Then we should follow what he says. Be joyful in our salvation. Isaiah 35. And a highway shall be there, and it shall be called the way of holiness. The unclean shall not pass over it. It shall belong to those who walk on the way. Even if they are fools, they shall not go astray. Strong words. Even if they're fools. So you might not even know you're saved, and God is going to keep you on that highway. No lion shall be there, nor shall any ravenous beast come up on it. They shall not be found there, but the redeemed shall walk there. And the ransom of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joys shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. We are a source of God's joy and enjoyment. It may not feel like that, church, but God is happy with you. He takes pleasure in you. And he wants to be sharing life with you. Zephaniah 3 The Lord your God is in your midst A mighty one who will save He will rejoice over you with gladness He will quiet you by his love He will exalt over you with loud singing He provides salvation for us So we can realise and understand The great joy he has for us And wants to share with us And others We can rejoice in the God of our salvation that we are his and he is our God and creator, almighty father, healer, giver and Lord. And so much more when we enjoy our salvation in him. So the obvious question, why do we need salvation? Salvation imparts the purity of Jesus Christ into us. It is his holiness given to us. Sanctified life brings God's peace Strength, love and holiness into our hearts. Psalm 42 verse 11. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. It brings conviction of the good news to our hearts that have been awakened by the Holy Spirit. And it opens the door to God's wisdom and knowledge. For before this we were blind and deaf to both, but salvation brings enlightenment to these. Proverbs verse two, chapter two, sorry. My son, if you receive my words and treasure up my commandments with you, make your ear attentive to wisdom and inclining your heart to understanding. Yes, if you call out for insight and raise your voice for understanding, if you seek it like silver and search for it as for hidden treasures, then you will understand the fear of the Lord and find the knowledge of God. Salvation brings God's victory over sin and death into our lives. We are empowered to overcome sin and defeat the works of the enemy in our lives and in the lives of others. I need to be clear here. Salvation isn't a one-shot deal. We don't just receive it and keep it to ourselves. We're supposed to be sharing it. It's what we're called to do. Part of our inheritance or victory is a new heart and a new spirit. 
Ezekiel 36. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Being saved is linked to calling. God has saved us by calling us out of the world, death and eternal separation from God for the blood of Jesus Christ and his new covenant to his great commission. Philippians 3. Brothers, I do not consider that I have made it my own, but one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind and straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on towards the goal for the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. Through this great commission that he started with his disciples when he said, Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. Jesus' last words to his disciples was to go into the world, preach the gospel, and draw others to God's great salvation. I'm going to skip that because most of us know that. Let's move on to Lamentations. It is good that one should wait quietly for the salvation of the Lord. We must wait on our salvation and the salvation of others like loved ones we have in our heart to receive this precious gift from God. Even believers must be patient as God continues his work in us and through us for his glory. We are a work in progress and incomplete until God finishes his work in us. For us, with a blokey illustration, sorry ladies, F1. A car runs efficiently when you pit stop it, doesn't it? Lewis Hamilton, if he had a car that worked 24-7, he would probably be leading the, the, board, the leaderboard right from the beginning, wouldn't he? But the car gives up on him, so it needs to pit stop. It needs to go through something, get it right, before it can move on. We're the same. You need to pit stop sometimes. God hasn't forgotten you. He just wants you to come in, do a bit of maintenance, and come back out again. You've got to look at it that way sometimes, yeah? Sorry, ladies, as I said, it's a blokey illustration, but you get the point. Second Peter 3. But do not overlook this one fact, beloved, that with the Lord one day is as a thousand years and a thousand years as one day. The Lord is not slow to fulfill his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish and that all should reach repentance. So he's not in a hurry. He wants everybody who he has called to be there. Therefore, beloved, since you are waiting for these, beloved is us. And he's stressing, waiting. So we have to wait. Part of our walk is waiting. But in that waiting, be diligent. Be diligent to be found by him without spot or blemish and at peace. And count the patience of our Lord as salvation, just as our beloved brother Paul also wrote to you according to the wisdom given him. So salvation shows the patience and love of God. He's taking the time to change us and sanctify us, be more like his son, bearing with our disobedience, our rebellion, our lack of faith. But he knows and ensures the final outcome is a good one for us and others. It shows the power and the increase of his kingdom. The power of God changing lives and other lives around the believer. Titus 2. For the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions, and to live self-controlled, upright, 
and godly lives in the present age, waiting for our blessed hope, the appearing of the glory of our great God and Saviour Jesus Christ, who gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. In Philippians 2, So if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection and sympathy, complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. So salvation makes it about him and us, and not just about me. We are adopted into God's family, grafted in by the power of the Holy Spirit, the words and sanctification of our Master Jesus Christ, within the plan of our great and exalted Holy Father, Almighty God. It's a bit of a mouthful, but because I'm a Trinitarian, I need to get all three in, because I believe in all three at work in us at the same time. We are commanded that we should look after one another and treat one another as well as we would treat ourselves. In some cases, better than we treat ourselves. It is good to treat someone else better than yourself. I find it works very well with the wife. You say no. <laughs> All right. <clears throat> right. Yeah. So. We become citizens of his kingdom. We must be cleansed of the old kingdom ways, working and desires of the world and sin in our hearts. In doing so, we automatically become enemies of the old kingdom and its ways. Now, are we clear what the old kingdom is? The old kingdom is the world. The old kingdom is everything you were before Christ got hold of you. That's the past, yeah? That's That's what I mean by old kingdom. We've got to be cleansed of those ways, those workings and those desires. But in doing so, we have become an enemy of the old kingdom. But God's peace comes through that. And salvation is not fully appreciated or acknowledged until we experience conflict. Normally from the old kingdom, but sadly sometimes within the new kingdom. So I'm saying that there is conflict within the church. Salvation will bring conflict as we adapt from one old kingdom to the new kingdom. I'm going to skip this. Matthew 10, which just talks about Jesus coming, not to bring peace, but to put man against wife and all sorts. So, our chief concern should be to abide in him. We can be confident in his words as they are truth, and they always come to pass. He is the author and instigator of time, history, life and existence. So I think he really does know what he's talking about. He brings solutions to all our complications when we trust in him alone. This is a quote from Oswald Chambers. The way of inward peace is in all things to be conformed to the pleasure and disposition of the divine will. A short version would be, stay in God's will, everything will be all right. That's it. Stay in his will. Everything will be alright. 
coupled with the truth that he will never leave us nor forsake us, and that nothing can separate us from his love, we can truly be at peace in him through his life-changing salvation. No longer an enemy of God, but a friend of God. No longer bound to eternal death, but to eternal life. No longer a citizen of the worldly kingdom, but an inheritor within God's growing kingdom. No longer without hope or peace, but now called to be a peacemaker in his strength. Salvation convicts you of your need for repentance. To acknowledge the sins you've committed against God and the commitment to follow him from that point onwards. In God's vocabulary, words change. Hopeless becomes hopeful. Restless becomes restful. Peaceless becomes peaceful. In God, when you become less, then you become fuller than you ever imagined. Salvation allows us to be perfected through suffering. 1 Peter verse 5, chapter 5, sorry. Be somber-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. Resist him, firm in your faith, knowing that the same kinds of suffering are being experienced by your brotherhood throughout the world. God's strength is shown perfectly through our weaknesses and no more powerfully than through the death of Jesus, our Lord Saviour, and the power of his resurrection. Jesus became weak to show the power of his almighty Father in heaven. It is the perfect example to us to trust in the one and only living God. Salvation enables us to make our desires and decisions more God-focused than self-focused. It allows us to see the great gift we have in our Lord's Saviour. Philippians 1, for to me to live is Christ and to die is gain. Salvation for me can be covered by some of these key points. Salvation is being chosen. God chose you before the creation of the world. He chose you out of the world. We must never forget the great privilege we have through being chosen by the creator of heaven and earth. Can we cast our minds back to when we were at school? I mean, Jack's only 30, he's only got about 30 years. I've got to go back a lot more now. <laughs> now, there were times when we would be split into teams. You had that, that scenario? Have we had that scenario? Yeah. We split into teams, and someone would be given the, the captaincy, and they'd be going, yeah, I want you, I want you, I want you. And it's like the fingers sort of did a, a hudge over, I want you. And how did that make you feel? Being the last one picked. You dated it. It's very degrading, isn't it? Very degrading. God never makes you feel that way. Never. He's chosen you because he wants you. He wants all of us, but specifically he wants you. Salvation means we are loved. Love beyond measure and beyond compare. And God's great love is ultimately shown in the sacrifice of his son, Jesus Christ, upon a cross. So, salvation is being chosen, loved, but also redeemed by the holiness of God through his son, Jesus Christ. We are bought at a very heavy cost, a very precious and mighty cost. But through it we are adopted and we are called children of God. We become new creations in Christ. 
isn't God great? Amen. So salvation has been chosen, loved, redeemed, sanctified, changed into the likeness of our Lord Saviour Jesus Christ, who was and is and is to come. Always the full and ultimate revelation of our God in human form. No one greater, no one higher. He is the Lord our God. My final point. We are being made into kingdom people. That God has called for this time to bring his kingdom here on earth as it is in heaven. God wants his kingdom people to help him change the world just as Jesus changed the world. So I pray, Lighthouse, we rejoice more about God's salvation in our lives and pray for his salvation to release others into the kingdom. Amen.